Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today we are going to finish uh, Luke chapter 24, the book of Luke. It's been great to work through that over the last, well we did start that back in February I think, so it's taken a while to get there, but uh, it's been a blessing to step through the life of Christ as recorded through um, Dr. Luke and uh, his uh, picture of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, to help set the scene for where we're going this morning, though, think about this. Can you recall a life-changing moment that you've been through? A life change, you know, that event or situation that occurred when your life changed forever. You, look, you were never the same again after that circumstance. And maybe sometimes it could be a number of circumstances, but there's generally one that you can think of that was life-changing. For me, uh, one of those events was when my father died just before I turned 15 years old. Just before my 15th birthday, actually a week before, uh, my father died. Uh, he had been struggling with cancer for quite a few years and literally was slowly dying before our eyes, as we saw him particularly in those last few months uh, fade away. Uh, just in, in physical uh, mass. Then on July the 18th, 1981, uh, my father died. Now, you're probably doing your mathematics now, aren't you? You said just before 15, I don't know, no, 55, okay, I'll just save you all the trouble. <laughs> so July the 18th, 1981, my father died. Uh, the one I loved, the one I looked up to, uh, the one who loved me and the one who cared for me, the one who taught me about life and the one who I'd learnt so much from the one I'd look to in the future who would give me wisdom in life. That person is now gone and never to come back in my life again. The death of my father changed me forever. A level of maturity and responsibility at a young age seemed to just kick in really quickly, like immediately. And I guess with that event, you do have to grow up. And by God's grace in that sort of, you know, all of a sudden losing that strong, stable figure in your life maturity must come and responsibility must kick in and by God's grace it did and it literally changed the way I viewed life for the rest of my days. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so today we're going to think about this event in Luke 24, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changed things forever, forever. So come with me to Luke 24. We're going to read just verses 1 through to 12 but we are going to sort of talk right through Luke 24 as well. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity to come this morning and open up your word. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, that you're the one who's inspired this word. Please come now and open our hearts up here as we think about the resurrection of Christ, this life-changing event, this history change, this world-changing event. May it impact our hearts and lives that we will never be the same as we continue to keep reflecting on the resurrection of Christ. We ask now for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have reached here the climax of Luke's gospel. Luke has covered for us the life, sort of three years of the life of Jesus. Well, there were some early snapshots when he was a tiny boy as well. And also the death of Jesus Christ through Luke. And he now takes us to the resurrection of Jesus. And let's remember where Luke is going as he writes this. He's writing for his friend and his friend's name is Theophilus. And he's writing to him to give him an orderly and accurate account of the person of Jesus Christ. You can find that right back at the start of Luke that he says, this is who I'm writing it for. Uh, So he writes to Theophilus as well to give him certainty in what he's been taught. He says, Theophilus, I'm writing these things for the things you've been taught to give you certainty in what you've been taught. So that's why we've preached through the whole book of Luke, chapter by chapter. The Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to write this so that we too, just like Theophilus 2,000 years ago, we can have certainty. Certainty in who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And today we want to give this certainty here that Theophilus received to ourselves as well about Christ through his resurrection. Uh, Here's where we're heading, or our big idea for today, it's this. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus gives us the courage and the confidence to live for his glory in the Holy Spirit's power to proclaim the gospel prayerfully. A bit of a mouthful there, but that's what the resurrection does for us. bit of context as we think about what's been happening. Uh, Jesus has just spent the last three years intensely ministering and proclaiming the kingdom of God wherever he has gone. Uh, Raising up disciples and teaching a a close-knit group of 12, and then also during this three-year period performing amazing miracles that only God can do. The things that Jesus did, like raise the dead, give sight to the blind and, and hearing to the deaf, only God can do those miraculous things. And Now, what Luke has done in these last few chapters has condensed this down to perhaps the last handful of days of Jesus' life. And that's where we've been three days ago to where Luke is in chapter 24. He's having the last supper with his disciples, that last meal in the upper room. Uh, Then he's portrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, falsely convicted as he's brought before the religious Pharisees and the high priests of that day, falsely convicted and condemned by them, taken to Pilate, and the same thing happens there, although we saw last week that Pilate did want to let him go, uh, but he didn't. He allowed him to be crucified on a cross. We saw that last week where Jesus died on the cross. And from that, Joseph of Arimathea has asked for, for permission to take down the body of Christ and to put that body into a tomb. And that now brings us to the start here of Luke 24, where we read before of the ladies going down to uh, the tomb. Where were the disciples at this time? At that particular moment, say that three days between the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, they were a despairing and despondent bunch. For them, all of their hopes, all of their dreams of salvation and freedom from the oppression of 
that they were under were smashed as far as they were concerned. They truly thought Jesus was God's chosen one to liberate them from this Roman oppression at this time. They thought God's kingdom, it was coming now. It was actually going to be brought through Israel again to again become the world ruler of the known world of that day. They saw their leader Jesus, they saw him as a prophet from God. But he's now dead and in the grave. They had lost all faith, all hope in who they thought Jesus might be for them. Let's have a look at that there in verse 1. Right at the very start of this chapter we can see that. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. What's that telling us about the people going down to that tomb? There's no hope or or expectation there of seeing Jesus alive. Taking spices to the tomb is like taking flowers to a gravesite. They're just going down there to pay respects to the body, as it were, at this time to give it some aromatic spices. It's still like someone going to a gravesite and just placing some flowers there as a sign of respect. They've just seen Jesus brutally slain on the cross just a few days beforehand. Their hopes of freedom and salvation from this oppression seem to have evaporated. They've got no thought that Jesus is going to be alive. They're just going to take some flowers, as it were, to the graveside. Also on the road to Emmaus, in this same chapter as well, Jesus has risen, but he keeps his identity back from these two guys that he's walking with to Emmaus. And he portrays this very same thing to these disciples. Sorry, these two disciples portray the very same thing here about despair and despondency. Have a look in verse 17, and it says this, and this is Jesus firstly speaking to them. He says to these two disciples, What is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And I just spent the previous verses just talking about all this tragedy that's happened in, in, in um, Jerusalem. And, and look at the way they end that verse there. And they stood still. They looked at each other, looking sad. That's exactly where they're at. Despair and despondency. It was all over. Their dreams were crushed. They thought of liberation. This is precisely where the disciples are as Jesus is in the grave. They thought, this hasn't gone the way we thought the script would go. This is not how the movie's supposed to end. Jesus, it didn't work out like we thought it was going to work out for you. We thought your kingdom would have been restored by now and we would have been set free. It didn't work out like that. And the picture we get there is these guys, ladies, fearful, dejected, hopeless, crushed, defeated and confused. It didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. And that's so easily found in our lives as well as we think about the context we can find ourselves in with the circumstances of life. It didn't quite play out the way I thought it was going to play out. It could be something like this. Jesus, I thought you were going to heal my dad of cancer. Well, Jesus, I thought you would have intervened by now and for my daughter who's walked away from the faith, you would have rescued her now and saved her by now, Jesus. Jesus, I thought you would have rescued my job and career and got it back online for me again. Or Jesus, I thought by now I would have had a marriage partner, Jesus. I thought that was the way it went for me. We can so easily think about these things in life and feel somewhat dejected or hopeless or crushed. But Jesus has something far bigger in mind for us as we think about that perspective of where we might find ourselves in life. Yes, there are temporal problems there and they are massive problems and real problems. But the salvation that Jesus has for us 
that his plan for us is of much higher stakes. So dejected, despaired, despondent. But it doesn't take long though for these disciples in this glorious chapter to move from this despair to delight. From despair to delight. The ladies at the tomb, they're met by two angels and they're told, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Have you forgotten what Jesus said about this, ladies? He said he would rise from the grave. Have you forgotten that? Now, just a little sidebar note here about this. And the important thing here is this. The fact, the fact that Luke uses ladies here as the first testimony of the resurrection of Christ is very, very significant to the authenticity of what Luke is saying here in this chapter. If he's trying to write something to convince us about the resurrection of Christ, he wouldn't have used ladies to be the first testimony of witness. Now, you might be thinking, why is that? Because in the culture of that day, thank the Lord it's not now, but in the culture of that day, a woman's testimony was unreliable and wasn't given credibility. So if Luke really wanted to pad this story up to make it really believable, he wouldn't include any of the ladies in this testimony. This just shows you Luke is recording the events exactly as they are. And praise God he did do that. We'll jump back onto the story now. The ladies aren't taken seriously at first. They go back to the disciples and say, Oh, you girls, you've been on something. You're telling us stories. It's an idle tale. What have you been drinking last night? They're thinking, what is going on here? Okay, but there's something that's happened with these ladies. They've actually got something now sparked within them. We move further on. Two men are walking on the road to Emmaus. It's about an 11-kilometre journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus walks up to these guys, but he hides his identity from them. And they talk about all that's happened in Jerusalem in the past days. Everything that's gone wrong, everything they thought was going to happen didn't happen. And they're wondering why, are you the only person who hasn't heard about these things happening in Jerusalem, they say to Jesus? Jesus gives them this mild rebuke about, hang on guys, it was all in the prophets. You should have known about that in verse 25. And re- reminds them, this is what the Bible said. Uh, they invite Jesus back to their place because they're enjoying this conversation. And as Jesus comes into the home and sits down at the table, they're about to eat bread. And the moment that Jesus picks up the bread, their eyes are opened up to him and they see, it's him. And amazingly, in that instant... Jesus vanishes, disappears from sight. Now that would be enough to sort of blow you away. Just, wasn't he just here? But he's gone. These guys, filled with excitement, this is now probably by night time because it's a day's journey to get there, they say, we can't contain ourselves. We're going straight back to Jerusalem. Like probably ran this time, they didn't walk. And they go straight back there. To t- We're going to tell the others. We've seen him. They're astonished by this sight. So they do, they go back in the night time and they do that and they're actually met with the other apostles, the other disciples, they're gathered in the room together and they're saying, we've seen Jesus. And the moment they say that, Jesus just appears amongst them and he says, peace to you, peace to you. As you can imagine, these guys are gobsmacked in the middle of this room now. They've seen him over there, he's vanished, they've run back in their own, tell the rest of the disciples, we've found him and he just appears just like that. And Jesus says, look. Look, look at my hands, look at my feet, touch me, see me, see that I'm flesh and blood, I'm real, I'm here. But there's probably still a few doubters there, we know one was called Thomas. 
So Jesus says, give me something to eat then. If I'm a ghost or an apparition or some sort of spirit or something, they don't eat. Give me something. And Jesus eats something before them. And we see there in verse 41 exactly their the reaction to this. It says there, and while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marvelling. Something's dramatically changed within these guys. They haven't quite got the full picture yet, but it's coming. And in verse 52, towards the end of the chapter, we see where they're returning back to Jerusalem, that we see a picture again of their mindset and the attitude of these guys now, this, this group of disciples. And it says there, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So that despair now has turned to delight. They didn't fully get it, they didn't fully understand it at this stage, but there's something that's beginning to happen within them. It's going now to joyful delight. Just imagine what's happening in their mind at that moment as they're experiencing all these things. They're thinking, we've just spent three years with him, walking, talking, teaching, raising the dead, seeing the blind come back, uh, seeing the blind receive the sight and the deaf to hear. And we've just seen him a few days ago, because we all saw him, impaled to a cross, as dead as a doornail. He was lifeless. The Roman soldiers speared him in the side. Blood and water gushed out of him. We thought our hopes are smashed. Our dreams are gone. But here he is. We've seen him. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. Don't you think seeing Jesus risen from the dead would change everything? If you saw that take place, something's got to change. So they're thinking, not even death can keep him down. Not even what we've seen everybody else go through. They never come back from the grave. I can imagine these guys look around saying, hey, what we've just seen changes everything. Jesus is so unlike us. He does what no other person can do. Friends, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. No person in history has done what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ has defeated humanity's biggest enemy, death. Crushed it. The resurrection confirms that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that his words are true. What he says comes to fruition. He stands behind his word. Three times in Luke, we saw this over the the weeks gone by, three times in Luke, Jesus told the disciples, this is what would happen. I will die and I'll rise again on the third day. It's now happening before their very eyes. It's dramatically changing them. Now, the other disciples saw this very same thing, this very same change in their lives as well. Here's a snapshot from Paul, firstly talking about it from a negative sense, that if it didn't occur, have a look with me in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says this. He says here in verse 14 to start with, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
then also those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And Paul says this remarkable thing in verse thirteen, uh, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if there's no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. What's he saying there? I've wasted my life following this guy if there's no resurrection. This is just a complete waste of time if there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, I have just wasted all of my resources and all of my energy and all of my life following this dead guy if he's not been raised. I'm still dead in my sins and I've got no hope before God. But Paul goes on to verse 20 and says this, But in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. But in fact, says Paul, Jesus lives. That changes everything. The resurrection authenticates exactly who Jesus is. His claim as the Son of God is authenticated, proven true by the resurrection of himself from the grave. And Paul says, all because of that, because of the resurrection, because of who Jesus is, I'll gladly and willingly give my life for his cause, no matter what cost there may be in his life. And Paul does that because it cost Paul much. It cost him much in following Christ. We won't do it today, but if you go back to 2 Corinthians 11 and just go towards through the latter end of that chapter there, you'll see the sufferings that Paul went through for following Jesus. And he did that without any qualms at all, gladly engaged in those sufferings because of the joy and the delight in the risen Christ the disciples were willing to spend and be spent for the gospel. Because they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. It changes everything. Everything. Let's think about these disciples. They've gone from despair to delight. They've met the risen Christ. And now Jesus wants to deploy them. He wants to put them into action. Like, what do you do with such good news that you've just discovered? What do you do with this good news? What do you do when you discover the most glorious and beautiful person in the world who has overcome the grave? What do you do when you discover someone who offers eternal life with a glad and joyful God? What do you do with that news? Well, surely we share it, don't we? We tell others about that. Look at what Jesus says to the disciples while we're still with them. Look in verse 44 as we go there. He says this, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What's Jesus saying? Believe God's word. Believe the Bible. Believe everything in there is written about me. Everything in the Bible is true. Trust it. Put your life confidence on the written word of God and what he reveals of that to us. Don't take God's word lightly. Understand that in this revealed world you will find uh, your salvation and eternal life as you put your trust in me. And then Jesus goes on in verse 46 and he says this, and he said to them, thus it is written. Again, Jesus is coming back to God's word. It's in the Bible, believe it, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus, look, this is the fourth time Jesus is telling him, that's what's going to happen. That is what's happened, actually. It's all happened. 
It's taken place before your very eyes. And verse 47 says this, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What's Jesus asking these disciples to do now, given they've just seen him resurrected? He's saying, proclaim the gospel. Proclaim this great news. Proclaim this good news. Tell people that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus died on a cross for the payment of our sins. That forgiveness of sins can only be found in the name of Jesus Christ and in no other name. Tell the people also, Jesus is saying, that he rose again, defeated sin and defeated death and tell the people that he lives Tell them about me, Jesus is saying, these disciples. Proclaim it, he says. Proclaim this gospel. Make it public. Declare it boldly. Announce it confidently. Let people know with confidence who you believe in because you know that Christ rose. You know that Christ lives. Tell people. If you're a parent, tell your children. Tell them the greatest news that you could ever tell them. Tell them how they can be saved and enjoy eternal life together with Jesus. Tell them how you can be united together as brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've done this with my own family on a number of times. We enjoy this wonderful family time. And I'll just summarise it. They don't always like me summarising like this, but I'll just summarise it at the end to say, you know, guys, haven't we just had a great day to, uh, together today? Or a great holiday together as well? You know, can you imagine what heaven will be like? We will be united together, not so much as a family, because I'm not sure how the structure will look up there, but we will still be united together as people loving and serving Christ. And it will just never end. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Tell your unsaved parents the same thing. Tell your unsaved siblings or brothers and sisters the very same thing, that Christ lives. Now you may have to use some wisdom and discretion how you might do that depending on your family context. Sometimes it's easy to do that, sometimes it's not so easy to do that. But just be naturally loving about who Jesus is and real about who Jesus is. Because it is real. It's real to you and you want to make it real to them as well. Tell your workmates. Tell your friends the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus is saying here because of the resurrection. Tell them that Jesus has risen from the grave. Tell them with confidence that's taken place. You could invite them to a Life Explored course, which we've just started this week here at Exchange Church. We've got uh, one person going through it, which is fantastic. We had another Life Explored course at the start of this year. We had two people go through that, and both of them become Christians out of that course. You could actually tell people about that by saying, come and do this course with me. And discover who Jesus is. So you'll hear about this resurrected Christ. Tell them the greatest news they could possibly ever hear. It's about Christ and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But you might say, Todd, that's so hard. It's so difficult to say that. It's so difficult to proclaim Christ. I feel weak and I feel powerless to do that. Jesus knows that. And he told his disciples in verse 49 of this chapter, he says, Go into Jerusalem, wait in there for the Holy Spirit to come upon you with power to give you this ability now to go out and to do that. And Jesus was right. They went back and they received the Holy Spirit, that power that indwelt them. And that same power that's available to them is available, available to us today as we become believers. 
to have that power to act and to live and to proclaim that Christ with strength and confidence when it is challenging. And I get that. It's difficult. But you still might say, but Todd, I'm still not sure they'll believe me. I might have the power to say it, but the message I give, it seems so out of touch with the culture where we are today. It sounds like it's something foolish or something silly. They believe about this dead guy who came back to life 2,000 years ago and he's the saviour. It sounds so crazy. I get that as well. I get the way a human psyche works. It does sound like a foolish message to the minds of unbelievers initially. But look at what Jesus does here in verse 45 of this chapter. He says there that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Holy Spirit sovereignly comes upon people, opens their minds to understand and believe what we tell them. It's a beautiful picture of the work of God. People will believe the message we tell them. The Spirit will work in their hearts sovereignly according to his purposes so that people will believe. So we not only proclaim in that sense of telling people, we've got to do something else. We've got to pray. We've got to pray also. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will give them a heart to believe. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will enable them to come to Jesus willing and, and come with their eyes open and their ears unstopped. So let's pray as we proclaim. Let's pray for our unsaved family members. Let's pray, God, please would you open their eyes up so they would know that Jesus too does live. Do the same for our unsaved friends. And have a guess what? The Holy Spirit will do that. The Holy Spirit will open up eyes, will open up minds, will open up ears. How do I know that? Are you a believer here today? Are you a believer on the other campus? Are you a believer online? How did that happen? The Holy Spirit came to you and you believe what this seems like a foolish message. And he keeps doing it as we pray and as we proclaim. We pray and proclaim and the Spirit works. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Just think about it. Just think about it. Because of Jesus, you'll never die. Because of Jesus, you'll go on living forever and ever, enjoying his presence and seeing new glories every day. Something else here that I think is very profound, the way the Spirit works in our lives through the resurrection. The disciples said something very profound to Jesus, about Jesus, after he'd been revealed to them on the Emmaus Road in verse 32. Have a look in verse 32 with me and see what they saw. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't something happen inside of us? Wasn't there something stirring in our hearts as Jesus opened up the scriptures, as Jesus opened up the Bible to them? Wasn't there an affection of joy and hope and and excitement that broke out in these guys as Jesus began to open up the scriptures before them and fan into flame something in their hearts? There is something mightily powerful about the resurrection of Christ that stirs a deep and powerful conviction that fills us with a compelling hope as we see his word open up into our hearts. It becomes something of like a flame, something burning with us, something that just compels us. We can't really describe it now in words, but it's something that's like bubbling inside of us that's exciting about the resurrection of Christ. Just as we close here, let's also see how Paul saw it back in 1 Corinthians 15. 
If you read through that whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, it's a chapter on the resurrection of some challenge they were experiencing in the Corinthian church. And in the very last verse of chapter 15, Paul summarizes this whole chapter and he says this in verse 58. Therefore, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now that is just a stirring verse. That is a stirring verse. Therefore, don't ever disregard the words therefore in the Bible. They are some of the most important words in the scriptures. Therefore, because... Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, therefore, because we will rise with Jesus, therefore, because we will never die, therefore, because we will live with him forever, therefore, be steadfast, stand tall, stand strong, be steadfast. Therefore, Paul says, be immovable. Don't alter with the shifting sand of the culture that we are in. Don't succumb to the lies that this word would try and tell us. Be immovable and stay true to the gospel. Therefore, Paul says, because of the resurrection, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, push yourself in Christ. Extend yourself in Christ. Work hard. Paul says, be energetic, take hold of every opportunity, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why so abounding, Paul? How can you be so confident about this abounding? What does Paul say next? Knowing that your labour in the Lord isn't in vain. It's not a waste of time. Well, Paul, why is it not in vain? Therefore, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ... It will not be in vain. It will achieve much for the kingdom of heaven. As we close, guys, this week, please, take some time to just read over Luke 24 slowly and carefully. And also 1 Corinthians 15, just let your mind, as it were, marinate and soak in the very precious truths of the resurrection. Just sit there and allow the Spirit to begin to open up that word on your heart and maybe begin to feel even what those disciples felt on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as we saw the scriptures open up into our minds? And then let that work of the Spirit take that glorious message of the gospel to our family, to our friends, and to pray that they too would have their eyes open up to the precious work of Christ in the resurrection. Let me pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you today that we uh, can open up your living eternal word. Thank you, Lord, today as we come and we, uh, we just think through uh, parts of Luke 24 and reflect a bit on 1 Corinthians 15. God, what a precious, precious thing that we have. What a foundation we can build in our lives, Lord, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lives. He lives. One day, Lord, we will all die, but we won't die spiritually. We will go on living with Christ. And we have this precious truth built into our hearts and built into our lives. And Lord, we get this opportunity, as you've told us to Jesus, to share that truth, to proclaim that gospel, to announce it boldly and confidently and gladly. 
Holy Spirit, I pray today for those who are struggling, for those who are weary, for those who are feeling the challenge of our current circumstances. Lord, I ask, please, let them this week, as they spend some time in Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15, Lord, let that truth just build a deep and strong foundation in their life. Let that truth, their Lord, just flow into hope, hope and joy in the resurrected Christ. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you today that we have such confidence that you've given to us through your spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. Let us build on that confidence, I pray, to live lives that bring honour and glory to your name. Lord, today we ask that. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.